Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast. Being on a board can be an incredibly valuable, interesting and exciting experience. Yet it can also be lonely, challenging and, let's face it, pretty hard. So here at Take On Board, I'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you navigate your way onto a board, onto your next board and to build your governance wisdom. Now, on with the show. So I'd like to start the conversation today by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we record. For me, that is the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I acknowledge their continuing connection to land, waters and culture and acknowledge that this land was never ceded. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Monica Rosenfeld about personal brand. First, let me tell you about Monica. Monica is a communications keynote speaker and workshop facilitator, comedian and founder of Stories That Stir, storytelling events and podcast. She has worked in the media all her professional life and is on a mission to facilitate human connection through incredible communication. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Monica. Thank you so much. Lovely to be here. (laughs) As always, before we delve into personal branding, I always love to dig a little bit deeper about the guest that I have. So I'm wondering, where were your parents born and do you know where your ancestors are from? Both my parents and grandparents actually were born in Romania. So my grandparents, all four of them were Holocaust survivors. Shortly after that tragedy, they had their children being my parents and both my parents migrated to Australia on on a big ship so they essentially escaped communist Romania for my mum it was the third attempt and my dad also had drama on his side but they both boarded a ship different ships they didn't know each other but they were both from the same town of Transylvania they boarded a ship and it took them six weeks to come to Sydney they had no money no English and some of their relatives had already settled here so my grandparents worked in sweatshops pretty much on my mum's side, my dad's side, my grandmother cleaned toilets, my grandfather became a taxi driver and um, and they met on the steps of Bondo Beach as teenagers. Oh, that is beautiful. Oh, hang on. So they met as teenagers. It's interesting. As you were telling me that story, I thought they'd come here as adults, but no, clearly not. How no, old were they? they were 15 years old with no English and no money. <laughs> So they have lots of stories of, you know, going to school and being complete outsider, but to just not having a clue what was going on. But they built a very successful and happy lives here. And I'm very grateful to have been born in the lap of 
luxury in Sydney and with all the opportunities and all of that. And I just, I often say I cannot believe it was just two generations ago. You know, if you look at what my grandparents went through with the war and then all, all the big change they made coming here and then my life, it's like, how did I, you know, how did I land in this? I think I've said this on the podcast before, but in fact, my grandmother grew up just over the road, possibly from yours in, in Moldova, just on the other side of the Romanian border. Mm-hmm. And likewise, Jewish refugees that came to Australia in the late 30s. And my mother was already born by then. So she was very young when she came to Australia. And likewise, came to Australia, no English, you know, lumped into school. You know, I've read some of the diaries and so on of my grandfather back then. It's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One way to put it. Yeah. So, I mean, you've answered part of my next question about where you were born and grew up, but tell me about a bit more about that and about siblings, if any. Yes. Yeah, so, I have a brother. He's 18 months older than me. We both grew up in Sydney, Dover Heights. So, it's near Bondi. When I was two, my dad started his own business as a chartered accountant. And my mum worked as a pathologist and she left her job shortly after I was born. We you know, had a wonderful upbringing, wanted for nothing. But my parents, coming from their background, were very conscious to make sure that we understood the value of money and just, you know, work ethic, just didn't take things for granted. Although when you're brought up with everything, only life experience teaches you not to take things for granted because you can be told that by your parents, but you're like, ah, you don't know what you're talking about until you're an adult. (laughs) So... Very fortunate, very grateful to have had all the opportunities and all the love, especially when you look at the the tragic circumstances just prior to their birth. There was so much love that we were brought up with and it's it's amazing, the resistance and the the beautiful stuff. It's like a lotus flower, the beautiful stuff that comes from the the dirt and the the mud. So That's a nice way of putting it, absolutely. So you grew up in in Dover Heights in Sydney. Do you know the traditional owners there? Who are the um, traditional custodians of the land there? I don't know about Dover Heights. I mean, I know with Sydney um, it's the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, but the actual sort of suburb there, I'm not not totally sure. It's probably, I shouldn't say probably, if it's Sydney, Greater Sydney, then that would be part of that. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering, how many languages do you speak? Well, I only speak English fluently. However, I studied French at school and I think if I lived in France for six months or more, I could be fluent. Um, I got quite good at French and I really loved it, but never ended up sealing the deal with my French. But then I'm married to a Dutch guy. So when I met my husband in New Zealand, of all places, I I remember my flatmate laughing because we met, I was on holidays. I came back and I'm like, I'm in love. I've met my part, life partner. He's like, yeah, right. It was a holiday romance. But I went and bought a whole lot of tapes from Big W, like Teach Yourself Dutch. And on Saturday nights, I'd sit there with my tapes. You know, I'm giving my age away, but this was several years ago. <laughs> and learn things like I still I still know how to say, you know, Vazane de Pascamas, where are the change rooms? After <laughs> and links left. It's um funny. So I, I've learned baby Dutch because my kids have been brought up bilingual. So I'm pretty good at Dutch till you know to a five-year-old level and I can understand a lot. So I often say to my husband, he's ruined my French because if I try and remember a French word, only the Dutch word comes. 
unless I don't remember either word. Yes. And then I, I learned Hebrew at school, but yeah, I do not speak any Hebrew except for the occasional word that I yes. remember. I don't speak any other language. I'm just an English speaker, but I think it's interesting. You know, I've learned a little bit of Italian, a little bit of Spanish and in my brain, because I'm not fluent in any of them, if I ever need to speak another language, it's just all of those just mush into other language. So if I can't find mm. the Italian word, I'll find the Spanish word. If I can't find the Spanish word, it'll be next in line. And it's, yeah. and it's all kind of just foreign language, which is not good. But anyway. And last but not least, where do you feel your place or your home is? My home is definitely Sydney. I grew up here. I love the ocean. Um, you'll often find me in the ocean or on a beach or something, I, I really connect with water like that. So I feel very lucky that, you know, within a stone's throw of where I live, you know, there are a handful of some of the world's best beaches. And we've also, I just love nature. So there are so many little nooks and crannies of like national parks and things. I've I've grown up in Sydney. It's, it's all I've really known as a home. I mean, I've traveled and I've lived overseas, but after uni, I did travel for three years. And when I came home, I have never been just so grateful to live in Sydney. And ever since, every time I come home from anywhere, I just cry when we land, just some, a bit of a sook like that. So yeah, I love Sydney. This is definitely where my heart lives. I love learning about our First Nations Australian people. And I feel like their stories need to be shared more and a lot of us are in a good place to facilitate that. So it's, that, that's exciting. Yeah, fantastic. Okay. So uh, with that introduction, today we're talking about personal branding and, and in particular how personal branding might be important and what board members need to know about personal branding. Where should we begin? Where I love to start talking about personal branding is that when you mention it, it sounds like a bit of a buzzword. Oh, personal branding. Like a lot of people have heard of Gary Vee. They watch his YouTube. He's like the king of personal branding. And there's lots of other people as well that you identify as having a strong personal brand like Richard Branson or, you know, maybe even Elon Musk, whether you love him or hate him. But for me, what I excites me about helping people with their personal brand and develop their personal brand is that I believe it makes you a purposeful being because it's not just a marketing buzzword. It's not just something that, oh, in the hustle of the corporate and entrepreneurial world, that's something that you should do. It is something that gives you direction. It gives you purpose. And the reason for that is when you really delve into what your personal brand is, what you're thinking about is who you want to be in the world. And if you're not that person now, who you want to become <laughs> and how you want to move through the world. And it's about the image that others have of you, but that image directly correlates to how you are being in the world, how you are behaving, how you are communicating, the values that you are illustrating as you behave and move and communicate in the world. So that's what really excites me about this work. It gives people clarity on who they are, makes them a purposeful being. And then every day when they wake up, they know who they are and who they want to be and how they want to behave. And it's just, and they do that. And then they become known as this person that is that. And that's how we create that perception that other people have on us consciously 
instead of by default. You know, it's so interesting. It's making me think, does personal branding have a branding issue? Because it sounds, you know, marketing buzzword, all of that stuff. It doesn't sound always like purpose-driven, defining your values, defining your way. Yeah, Yeah. yes, yes. (laughs) Actually, if you were going to rebrand personal branding, how would you rebrand it? I would say personal branding equals personal being and how do you want to show up in the world? That's probably what I would rebrand yes, it as. there you go. Because, <laughs> yeah, sometimes when I hear I totally get it and I agree that the way you show up in the world, if you're clear about that yourself, then it will kind of exude from every pore in everything that mm. you do. Absolutely. But when people talk about it as personal branding, sometimes it just sounds a bit icky, I think. So to be clear on those things, so if it's not so much about the image as such but about the inner purpose, you know, for board directors thinking about this, where should they begin in defining or developing that for themselves? Because it can seem like a really big messy ball of wool. Where do they start? Great question. When I work with people, I take them through what I call my three-step process to create your personal brand. So if you think of a beautiful tree of nature, it starts with the roots of the tree. So without the roots of the tree, that tree is not grounded in the earth. The roots nourish the tree and keep it alive and keep it thriving so that no matter how strong the wind blows, the tree can stand tall and straight and not just be pushed over by the smallest bit of wind or even a big storm. So I liken those roots to your top five core values. So I get them to think about all their personal stuff, you know, family, relationships, not connected to work. And I have a process whereby they get to their top five core values from a personal point of view. Then I get them to put on their professional hat and we do the same exercise. And then we look at the 10 words that we've come up with and we merge them to get their top five because we are holistic people. Although we wear different hats and and might show up slightly differently depending on whether we're taking our kids to school or going to a board meeting, we're still the same person. So I feel that it's important to combine them. That's the roots of the tree, your top five core values. Then we go to the trunk of the tree and that's where we look at the expertise that you want to be known for or the passion that you bring to your work. So in that board position, what is it? What is your strength? What is that thing that you are going to contribute, you know, as part of this board. Then we shoot to the top of the tree and that's your physical appearance. Now, if you really want to be remembered and make a memorable impression, one way to do it is be consistent with something about your physical appearance. Because if you think of a tree, there are lots of different trees. There's willow trees, frangipani trees, bougainvilleas, and the list goes on and on. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never seen a frangipani tree with bougainvillea flowers. (laughs) So I know it's a frangipani tree because it has those beautiful frangipani flowers. Same with your look. So for me, and I know people can't see me, but if you want to look at me, uh, look me up on LinkedIn, I've got this bright fire engine red hair. And people literally remember me by by that, like, oh, the redhead girl, the redhead speaker, you know, that girl with the red hair. That's something to consider. And then the branches are how you communicate your personal brand. So either with content creation, 
through the way you communicate in conversation as part of the board. All the different ways that you communicate form the branches. But that's part one. Then I take it one step further and create what we call the fingerprint effect. And I call it that because your fingerprint is completely unique to you, as is your personal brand. And it's with your fingerprint that you'll leave your mark if you end up in jail. And, no, you know, you leave your mark, hopefully not in jail. But it's with your personal brand that you actually leave your mark on the world. So that's why I call it the fingerprint effect. And we get the fingerprint effect by going back to those top five core values and linking each one of those to core behavior. And if it actually is in your top five, you will consciously behave in a way that demonstrates that value every single day. If kindness is in your top five, you won't just be kind every now and then. Every day you'll think, how can I do an act of kindness today? And it can be tiny. It can be as small as letting someone in in traffic or as big as bringing someone into your house to live for a month or whatever it is. But you will be consciously doing that. And when I work with people, some of the exercises that I suggest they do, once we've got the core values, we look at their behaviours, at the end of the week, review their week against their core values and how did they act in a way that demonstrated those core values? What could they do more of? You know, just so that it's conscious and front of mind. So that's part one of the fingerprint effect. Then we've got the expertise that you want to be known for. Now, chances are for all your lovely listeners who are on boards, you will share your expertise with millions, if not billions of people, right? But absolutely no one, nobody shares your unique story of how you got to being that expert in that or passionate about that topic. So here I work with people to identify the core elements of their core story because we don't need to hear every detail since you were a fetus, <laughs> but just a few of the points along the way that are trigger points that people are like, oh, yeah, wow, 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 and boom, suddenly you stand out from all the millions of other people who share your expertise because of your core story. And then we look at the physical appearance, what can be consistent and wrap it all up and that becomes the fingerprint effect. So that's the process. And then we go through content creation and how, how you communicate your personal brand. Oh my goodness, there's so much in there. Um, I love the tree metaphor. What a surprise. A um, communications expert has an awesome metaphor to describe it, but I love it. It sums it up so well and all the different parts of it. Gosh, I barely know where to go in asking this. So here you go. I'm going to go here. Just out of interest, what are your five core values? I'm glad you asked. My first one is curiosity. I'm a learner. Like I just listen, I, I absorb, I read book a week probably just lots of curiosity Um, my second one is love like for me love makes the world go around everything comes back to love absolutely everything I do it's an energetic thing it's the way I work gratitude for me is massive because it's just everything (laughs) well it's in my top five fun is a massive one for me as well Um, I'm a stand-up comedian as well and so everything for me it If it gets too, 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 too serious, I just need to have fun with what I'm doing and I need to bring fun and play into the work that I'm doing or I will disengage from it. And the last one is honesty. I'm all about being real 
and that really connects to the other sort of talks and things that I give about having real conversations. I do keynotes and workshops on having difficult conversations. It all comes down to honesty at the end of the day. Like I struggle to lie. And there is a story connected to this. When I was about seven, I think, we had this um, staircase and then under it there was a little cupboard. And one time, I think we had a party or birthday party and there were lots and lots of lollies. And I ate a lot of them, most of them, with my brother. My dad was always quite a scary man growing up. He was like, did you eat the lollies? And I said, no. And then it was clear I did eat the lollies. And I got in so much trouble. And from that time on, I just literally have not been able to lie. Like, I cannot. I li- Even if I want to, <laughs> I just can't. I go bright red. I start stammering. I that was linked to a bit of a trauma for, for me with the lollies, but I just, honesty is massive. Interesting. Oh, gosh. See, now I want to go down that rabbit hole. I'm interested. How do you deal with white lies? Sometimes mm. being a bit flexible with things mm. works uh, better yeah. all around. So I'm just wondering how uh, that. Th- I, mm. I think we all have to tell white lies occasionally because it's part of being social. You know, you're not going to come straight out and say you look ugly or, (laughs) you know. So I think it's more when it comes to honesty, it's more the the bigger things and the more straightforward things. But I think we teach our kids to just blend the truth. It's never fully dishonest. And I guess that's why it's a white lie because it's not a full lie. It's just like a... We, we just won't focus on that bit. We'll exactly. focus on this bit. Or sometimes just being economical. It, it's so, yeah, I find that. it. Or leave that exactly, bit out. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> oh, so interesting. I, as you were running through your values, again, just so you know, I was jotting down my five key values and love and fun uh, we snap on because they're both part of my key values as well. Uh, that's why we get on so well. <laughs> that's right. Um, so, yeah, that's why I was smiling as you were telling me that because I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> tick, tick, got those. <laughs> oh, fabulous. Okay, so being really clear on that self and in all levels of it, of the roots of the tree, the trunk of the tree, the branches and so on, being really clear on that self will then almost inherently help you to communicate it. It will unconsciously help you communicate it, but then being conscious about some of that will also. It was interesting when you talked about image even in there that, again, sometimes I cringe a little in the conversation around image, wear the suit and look good and fit in and all that sort of stuff, but I loved how your perspective on it is around consistency. So tell me more about that. Well, when we look at the image part, so the physical part, I always say it's usually something you do already or it's got to be part of you. You know, if you're a more conservative person, I wouldn't be saying go and get a mohawk so you can be remembered. Like that's not the point. But if you are someone who is more out there and creative and likes to shake the boundaries a bit, then the mohawk might be perfectly suited for you. And I'm actually thinking of a speaker that I know who has bright pink hair and it suits her perfectly and it's done really well for her. We usually go through what you do now and we go through everything, colours you wear, style you wear, accessories, hair, makeup. So we look at what you currently do and then of all the things that you currently do, what's the one thing that you could be consistent on? So with one lady this year, um, she loves wearing hats but she only wears them sometimes. So I'm like, all right, well, when you show up for a 
professional thing or in a photo shoot, wear the hat. If you look at Richard Branson, for example, you will notice there's something very consistent in all his images from young to old, and that is he has a goatee. Now, we don't even consciously see the goatee. It's not like you say, oh, there's Richard with a goatee. But if he didn't have the goatee, you would be like, there's something a bit weird about Richard today, but we connect that goatee with him. So it's got to be something that comes from you that you naturally do already. You know, one of the questions I ask is, do you have any scars? One man that I know has a huge, big birthmark on his face, and he's made that part of his physical thing. So in his logo, it's his face with the birthmark. Another lady I know has alopecia, so she's lost all her hair. She used to wear a wig, and now she's decided to just own it. So she goes, that, and that's her personal brand now. She has no hair and this amazing face, beautifully made up. It's usually part of you. And for me, the hair, being quite out there, creative, I like to, okay, I'm an attention seeker, I'll, I'll admit it. It totally suits me. I've always liked challenging the status quo. I hate being the same as everyone else. I hate playing it too safe. So for me, the hair was perfect. And then the whole fun aspect, like I have fun with the hair. I like that it sort of makes some people feel a bit uncomfortable. No, it does, it's more like, oh, I would never do that, but it looks good on you kind of thing. And, that, you know, I like that. It's so interesting. I'm thinking those that knew me pre-pandemic, you can see me now even though we're on a podcast, those that knew me pre-pandemic knew me with dark, straight hair. I now I now have I can't imagine yeah I now have silver well not completely silver but certainly silver hi, silver yeah, highlights um, curly yeah. hair because I just didn't know that I had curly hair that's a total other story but yeah. it's it's interesting I get so many more comments now about having silver highlights and just stopping dying than I ever did about my yeah. hair previously yeah and um, it looks so good it was a bit to get my head around. And when I started doing it, I just thought I can't do this. And then I did. And I, I love it now. It's it's interesting. Yeah. Anyways. And that's the thing. Then it's about owning it. So Because yes. you could be walking around going, oh, I'm not sure about this. Or you can be walking around going, yeah, this is me. Whether it's going to be the silver curly hair, the pink mohawk, the bright red hair, completely bold, uh, a tattoo that you've got, whatever it is. Just own it. And that goes the same for your entire personal brand. The whole point of this is, one, getting clarity for yourself and then stepping into your power of who you are and owning it. And with that owning of it and the confidence, you will be influential. You will attract the people that resonate with your strength and confidence. You will get more board positions. <laughs> uh, you will have more impact on the boards that you're on. Yeah, it all comes from that confidence and clarity. <laughs> so I was just about to say, what are the key things you want people to take away? And I suspect you've just done it in that, <laughs> that there and then. So maybe it's more, is there anything else to add to the key things that you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? I guess we haven't touched that much on the branches, which is the communication and the, the content creation part. So once you know who you are and you own who you are and how you want to and your expertise and what you, the value that you feel you can share with the world. It's about then consciously communicating that. So through LinkedIn or other social media platforms, potentially in conversation, you know, you might want to share your core story, uh, particularly when you're, you're new to a board position or, or, or you don't know 
people as well, or everyone doesn't know each other, you know, sharing parts of your core story is really a great thing to do. I've actually got a framework. I mean, it's it's a whole other thing, but it's it's seven reasons to produce content. And reasons is an acronym. I'll quickly I'll quickly go through it if you like. Yeah, um, sure. So R stands for real life stories or case studies. So in the work that you do, what are some of the case studies that you can bring forward? E stands for entrepreneurial business or story. So it's your backstory of how you got to be doing what you're doing. A stands for awareness days. So there's an awareness day every day, week, and month of the year that you can use as a hook to link your expertise or stories to. S stands for statistics and research. So if you've got research on your expertise topic, you know, putting it out there. O stands for opinion and thought leadership. So this is your expert or controversial opinion. And I'll give you an example of controversial opinion versus expert opinion. So an expert opinion is like this is what women need to do if they want to break through the glass ceiling. Okay, this is your expert opinion, blah, blah, blah. This is my expert opinion. A controversial opinion is women need to stop saying sorry if they want to break through the glass ceiling. This comes from actually leadership expert who I worked with. That one, women need to stop saying sorry, It's that got picked up by the media and ran it widely because it was a beautiful expert opinion. But whether it's media or you writing a blog about it or doing a video about it or talking to people about it, there's lots of different ways to repurpose this content. N stands for news of the day. So tapping into the current news of the day, you know, what everyone's chatting about and you contributing to that conversation. And last but not least, it's snappy fives, tips, myths and pitfalls. So it's the top five ways to do this, the top five things to avoid if you want to do that five myths about you know things like that fantastic oh super useful <laughs> we've talked about you, you talked about some of the people who do their personal brand well elon musk uh richard branson who are the who are the key women that have an mm. excellent personal brand in your view great question well there's one woman that i love using as an example and that is celeste barber the actor and comedian, and many of you might have heard of her from her social media challenge, Celeste Challenge Accepted. <laughs> and if you haven't, have a look on Instagram. It's very, very funny. But she definitely has a strong personal brand. If we all know, know who I'm talking about, we can all agree her values are probably about down-to-earth, real humour. She's very consistent in how she shows up. And the reason I like using her as an example is because she's extremely influential. Not only does she fill up stadiums and studios and God knows what with her shows, but she accidentally raised $50 million yes. in yes. the New South Wales fires of 2019. Her mother lives in the South Coast. Her mum's area was burning. She put out a Facebook Live. She wanted to raise $15,000 and she raised $50 million. Yeah, And that became a problem in itself. Yes. But, yeah. but that just shows that personal brand led to her doing that social challenge. So that was how she communicated her personal brand. That then got picked up by the media. Then she wanted to show people that she's got more to her than just this thing. So she started doing these massive comedy shows. That led to her being well-known. And then, you know, when this fire happened, she just 
was her very own real self and literally just did a live with a big red face and a you know from her mum's house saying help and they did because they know what she's about what she stands for and they like and trust her oh I love it that is such a great example and also because you know back to the conversation at the start about personal branding needed in your rebrand she's not schmick no at all her part of her brand is, as you yeah. say, her realness, her authenticity, yeah. her down to earth. So I love yeah. that. Great. I'm so glad I asked <laughs> that question. Thank you. Um, is there a resource you would like to share with the Take On Board community? Well, I would love to share my podcast. Um, it's not totally related to personal branding, but it's called Stories That Stir. So I run an in-person storytelling event currently in Sydney, but I'm expanding in 2023. But every single event is recorded live for the podcast because I felt it was very important that if you were not in the suburb in Sydney where you could physically come to the event, you would still have the benefit of hearing the stories. So essentially, I created the event to break down barriers, stir conversation and inspire positive change. And each series has six episodes, so they feature the six speakers from the night and they share a raw and personal story linked to the theme of that particular event. So the themes we've had are love, hope, courage, choices and transformation so far. So, yes, I'd love everyone to listen to that because I know you'll enjoy it and spread the word. <laughs> I I wholeheartedly endorse that as a listener of your podcast. <laughs> Thank you. uh, it is yeah, it's great. So I recommend it to the community. Yeah, and I and I work with people um, both one on one and do workshops helping people with all kinds of things. But personal branding is one of the things that I love helping people with. Fantastic. Well, we'll make sure we put a link both to your LinkedIn and to your website also in the show notes so people can find you if they need you. Wonderful. Oh, <laughs> Monica, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing some of your story, some of your key insights with the Take On Board community today. I know people will find it valuable. So thank you for being here today. Pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you. So that's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. Thank you so much for being here and being part of the Take On Board community. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So I invite you to join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, an active group that helps, supports and cheer squads each other. Just search Take On Board in Facebook to find us. I'd really love it if you could also do some of the other podcast things. Share with someone you know who might get some value from our discussions. Subscribe if you haven't already. And, well, I also really love it when people rate and review. Thanks again for being part of the Take On Board community. Now go and put these tips, tricks and advice into action so you can be your best in the boardroom.